How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Welcome to Locked on Core Strength, I think that was the suggestion from from Brew Hoop um, after watching me embarrass myself on Twitter today. Um, no, this is Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric. Joining me as always is Frank Madden and bringing you tonight's episode is SeatGeek. They are friends and they've been supporting us a good long while here on Locked on Bucks. We always appreciate them and we do have that new promo code. It's L-O-M-B-A for Locked on NBA. Again, that's L-O-M-B-A and that gets you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and use that today or just go to SeatGeek and, you know, just try out some tickets, find some some good deals. They are always there on SeatGeek. So, Frank, today is going to be the day that we go through some of our nerdy cap stuff so i will tell everyone that this if you're looking at this podcast there's a reason why it's probably as long as it is i have no idea how long this conversation will end up going but i would assume it will go somewhat long we're going to go through all that cap stuff uh but first we wanted to kind of touch on the newsy ish uh item for today and that is the bucks grand opening of their new training center it is the freighter and medical college of wisconsin sports science center um I pray someone comes up with a snappy abbreviation for that. Um, I thought I thought we were going to call it the Fred Roberts and Michael Carter Williams Training Center. Is that not? Well, that doesn't really help. That, uh, <laughs> that doesn't make in, it shorter. In fact, I think that adds uh, a couple syllables. So it was it was pretty awkward when I think because didn't they haven't they referred to like the freighted and mcw like it was just kind of like oh mcw there was a bunch of mcw term. references yeah. uh throughout yeah. the day so that's yeah just uh gonna make every bucks fan just shudder just a, a a little bit send a little tingle up their spine uh but yeah, so that was the big news of the day. Uh, the media was allowed to kind of take a tour of everything. And I, I guess I was there. Do you want to ask questions? I'm trying to figure out how to have this conversation. <laughs> well, you not only were a part of the part, part of the tour, I mean, you were part of the, the spectacle uh, from from what I saw on my Twitter feed. I mean, but I guess I guess I'm, I'm curious, obviously, of your general impressions. I mean, I know there's a really nice basketball court with flags of, you know, the players uh, from different countries, and I know there's a cool boardroom. Um, uh, and then I, I know because I saw you walking on the balance beam, and Suki Hobson, I guess, took you to task, uh, put you through some paces. But um, maybe general impressions, and then and then you got to tell us the details behind how you got uh, to to be a, a centerpiece of the of the festivities. Okay, uh, so 
I I guess the big thing when you look at the Cousins Center right now again, I never really know how much people know about the Cousins Center, but then when I tweeted about the training facility today, it seemed like a bunch of people knew quite a bit about the Cousins Center. So it it's kind you mean, of You mean the Orthopedic Hospital of Wisconsin Training Center? Eric? Yes, that come was on, exactly that was exactly what I meant. Yeah. Um so I guess the big thing, there's one full court at the Cousins Center. Um Obviously, if you saw any of the pictures on Twitter, you, you saw the Bucks kind of take you through the grand tour. There's two courts uh, at the new training facility, which I think is a big thing. Obviously, more. I think that might be the biggest thing that there's just more space. Period. Like no matter what, no matter what part of the tour you want to talk about, there is just more space. No matter what part of that facility, just just more space and that's obviously huge and obviously everything's going to be state-of-the-art so two courts that's a big thing um as you you move from the courts to the locker room area uh there's a state-of-the-art kitchen with the the chef i always forget his name um sean zell i think his name is um he is their dietitian and the the team chef, so uh, he kind of took us through that. Uh, got to have some nice lunch, uh, some of their favorites, uh, some of the different players' favorite items. They made some of those, uh, but yeah, it, it's just a, a straight up kitchen. And you, and I guess the big thing they they're trying to push is everything's kind of open. You can see how everything is made. Everything is made in front of you. And their ultimate goal is, okay, players see this and think to themselves, oh, this looks kind of cool. This was really good. How do they make this? How do I make this a bigger part of my life when I'm not at the training facility? So I think that was the big thing, trying to push healthy lifestyle options and trying to show guys that maybe it's not as difficult as they may think and you can eat healthier and kind of do some of that stuff so uh that was kind of the the kitchen area which i I think is a nice thing and something they want to do uh also they have they're sponsored by gatorade is one of the sponsors of the entire facility um and with that they that's kind of how they make some of the smoothies that they make and how they kind of help players refuel and do all that stuff uh so we got to try Giannis's post-game smoothie um i, I didn't get to write something about that but it, anytime you see the bucks players after a practice or game you will see them with a styrofoam cup in their hand um a, a, like a large like 20 ounce one and you the reason you'll see that is because they are they're there and they are having their smoothies that uh, are supposed to kind of take you to the give you everything you need to refuel and do all that. So uh, that was that was kind of interesting to see as well. Locker rooms they're bigger, they have more space. The showers are actually for human beings uh, for like basketball playing human beings while while at the Cousins Center. Um, I know Craig Robinson joked today that the Cousins Center ones were made for priests. Um, These are made for NBA basketball players, so that's a nice thing. Uh, Then training area, there's... I'm trying to think. You can kind of walk through this uh, at Bucks.com, so this is probably just a bad way to tell uh, talk about this, but uh, three big pools, hot tub, uh, cold tub that apparently you can fit they believe you can fit the entire team in there 
I would like to see them try. Uh, that, that was a big thing Troy Flanagan would say. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is the walk-in tub, and it's circular, so uh, you, you just walk in, like, there's no seats. Um, and then everyone could just walk in, and uh, the goal, I guess, is walk in and then move around the circle and then walk your, your way out. Um, he claims the whole team can fit in there. I would love to see that. Uh, and then uh, another one with, like, a... Uh, with a treadmill underwater and kind of like a, a therapy pool that they can kind of push guys through the paces there. Uh, then uh, cryotherapy chamber. Obviously, I, I've talked about that before on Locked On that they have one of those at the Bradley Center right now, and they have one there in the training center as well. Now, uh, I believe that's... I'm not sure they have one in cousin in the Cousin Center right now, so I know they were excited about that. Uh, and then just uh, a bunch of training tables where you can get your ankles taped up and kind of get work done on you and all that stuff. Uh, then we we get to the, the final part, uh, the, the part that Suki and Troy are so very much excited about. And, and just to clarify, so... Troy Flanning and the director of, I think his title is like director of performance and sports science or something like that. Yep. Um, and Suki, who's obviously the kind of training guru behind Jabari's rehab, but, but obviously she does kind of everything, I guess. Right. Yeah. She, I believe including she, working out journalists now, <laughs> I, I believe she's head of strength and conditioning for yep. the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's yep. her official title. Yep. So, um, those two kind of took us through that, uh, Again, the big thing that they said was space. That that was what they were excited about is that they just they just had so much more space. And uh, the big thing was they they said that as they were kind of going through this, they they kept being asked by the organization, "What do you want here? What what do you want to do with this space? How do you want to try to get these guys better?" And they kind of were just able to do that. They were they were able to put together what they wanted um, and structure it the way that they wanted so it has flow and that the workouts make sense and there's enough space. So uh, they were very excited about that. A, a couple of the things, I know Suki tweeted it out tonight. Um, I believe she calls it their monster rig. Um, so if you want to go check out her Twitter, it's at S-U-K-I... Um, H-O-B-S-O-N I wasn't sure if there was an underscore in there or not there is not, Um, so just straight through so if you want to go check out that video but it's, like in the front is squat racks Um, I I think there's three squat racks and then another like half station at the end Uh, and then on the back side are I don't even know what to call it they're, they're monkey bars but they go up at an incline and then they get like plateau in the middle and then go down on a decline i'm sure there's some special name for it i'm not up on uh that type of thing i would need to do some more research but uh it's like i don't know adult monkey bars let's call it uh so that's on the back side uh and then there's also like a punching bag um that they like to use with a a bunch of different workouts and then uh it's tall enough that on the edge there's ropes so like you could incorporate rope climbing into part of your workout um and suki was really proud of that she said that no one else would have that set up um and that was totally custom made and and that's something that 
only they would have and something only they would kind of do. Um, so she was really proud of that. And Troy talked about, oh man, I'm going to, he'll probably be mad at me for killing this, uh, but they they call them, I, th- I, I need to double check on this, but oxygen consumption he, he, stations. He's not um, listening, so don't worry about it. Just just, <laughs> just make just make some stuff up. Uh, but they're, they're oxygen consumption stations or something of that nature, and that's on like the second level of the like training workout area. And in that area, uh, like the goal is there's machines that they can hook the guys up to and see how they're taking in air, um, and how much air they're taking in and kind of, I guess it gives you a good read of how hard that person's working and how much harder they're capable of working. And like, it just gives you a better idea of like their stamina, their fitness and all those things, um, which is something I've never really heard about before. Um, and I, I would assume that's kind of like the next level of, Oh, go run or ride a bike for a little while and see how tired you are or anything like that. Like that would be actual science um, to to check those things out. So um, those were kind of all of the things, um, except there. I believe if you've ever watched any of the Jabari Parker comeback videos, you've probably seen him jump on a trampoline before, um, and. That trampoline is kind of long. It's rectangular. It's like long and then not all that wide. So it's kind of just like a trampoline track. Um, and then next to it, there's a small like springboard, uh, like you would see um, in a like a like a gymnast kind of area. Uh, and then a balance beam. So Suki took us through all this, talked about everything, and then asked for questions and. One of the other journalists on the tour asked a question, and she answered that one. And then I asked a question, said, "What's what's up with the trampoline and balance beam?" And she was like, "Well, you know, actually, this would probably work better as a demonstration." And I was like, oh, "Okay, cool. Suki's gonna go through this and kind of show us how this all works." And then she's like, "But I need a volunteer, and you asked the question, so." <laughs> I was like, okay, sounds good. Uh, so the the idea is there's kind of, you're working on foot strength, you're working on your core, stuff like that. Uh, but they have, if you watch the video, they have medicine balls on like cords, strings, like three feet. Um, so we started on the ground um, and she just told me to stand on one foot and then swing it around in different ways. Um, and then we got through that and she's like, okay, that was good. I think you're ready for the balance beam. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not. Um, and she's like, no, you can do it. I'll, I'll walk you through it. It'll be fine. Um, so she asked me to get on the balance beam. One, I couldn't do that. Like I, I legitimately couldn't get up onto the balance beam. Uh, which uh, was not great. Um, so then she was like, oh, I guess we could get you a, one of these little like platforms that, yeah, we'll get you a platform. So they got me a little platform and then I could get up on the balance beam. Uh, then she had me do that a little bit and I failed a number of times, a couple of times Matt Velasquez caught on video um, and decided to tweet out. And then Thankfully, I will say this, she was very nice and encouraged me and helped me get through it and uh, ended up 
giving an, a solid, nah, probably not, a bad demonstration of what they do. Um, and then she's like, oh, take your shoes off, let's go hop on the trampoline, and I got to do some trampoline workouts, which were generally pretty fun, because um, I'm just on a trampoline while taking a tour of the the Bradley, or of the the Bucks new training facility. So that that part wasn't bad. I, I didn't I didn't hate that part and that was a good way to end and I was done and sweaty and slightly embarrassed. So it, it was great. I have to say when Jabari did his first ACL comeback, I think Suki had him doing like workouts where he was jumping one legged on his oh, she surgically had, she repaired had leg. Me do that. She had me Yeah. Do that. And I have to say, just watching those workouts, like I was just sitting there deathly afraid of Jabari. I mean, obviously I knew that the fact that they were getting tweeted meant that he didn't hurt himself again. But like just watching it with a guy who, you know, we have this like reflex fear that he's going to get hurt again. Um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't care about you, Eric. Like well, if you thank were you, Frank. jumping around, I'd be like, ah, who cares? What his knees don't matter to me. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, she's she. I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, she was very well known around the world, really, uh, for her kind of innovative um, rehab work on, on ACLs in particular. So, I mean, obviously you wish that she would not need that skill set so much uh, in Milwaukee, but um, you know, for better or worse, it's obviously been something that, uh, that has come in, come in handy with, uh, with Jabari's injuries in particular. But um, I don't know anything else you can think of, or um, I don't know. It just seems, I mean, that I mean, I've been to the cousin center and it's just like funny because it's like literally the back of you know the what it was used to I guess used to be owned by the archdiocese or whatever like the the whole yep. s- facility. I mean, it's not even you know the Bucks sent a sole ownership thing like they would just like rent out space from there. And so it's just so bizarre because you kind of drive out to the back of this thing and then you know that doesn't look like you're going to walk into a uh, an NBA training facility. So um, pretty cool to have that now all located within you know I guess a stone's throw of of the new arena and. You have to think players are going to prefer having that, and you know, if you look downtown or something like that, it just seems like a, you know, besides the fact that it's all brand new and the technology and all that other stuff, it's just kind of a much better, I think, story. And again, you, you know, are you going to sign a superstar free agent because you have a, a nice training facility? No, but I mean, all that stuff matters, and um, you know, definitely, definitely, probably is a big convenience factor for the players. Yeah, as I say, that's the big thing is if you can have a facility that. To me, I know people want to think of it as like helping recruit, and certainly having world-class facilities with a new arena and with a new training facility, like that certainly helps. But to me, I think the biggest thing is they're able to have world-class facilities, and like you said, Suki is very well known for everything she's done with ACLs. Troy Flanagan is very well respected. Like if you have not only world-class facilities, but you have people that really know how to build up new players and you give them the tools to do that well then you should be able to grow from within and you should be able to get better as a team and and i think that's that to me is the big thing that you're giving your own guys especially with with the bucks having as many young guys as they do you're giving your guys the tools to get better and the tools to succeed going forward yeah and it's obviously it's a global operation troy is is australian Suki is is not Australian. She's English, but she was in Australia for a long time, um, as you said, doing I guess Australian rules uh, football. And uh, and Tim O'Leary as well um, is also in in the in the you know sports science group uh, for the box. He's also I think he's Australian. Um, so a, a distinctive you know it's not just on the court with with Delhi and and Thon that the Bucks have uh, have a bit of that. 
um, down under uh, type influence. So pretty cool. Um, and uh, and obviously, you know, we, we've heard a fair bit about some of the interesting things they've been doing the past couple of years. And uh, hopefully, hopefully it pays off uh, with fewer injuries and, uh, you know, stronger players and, and, uh, and everything else. Um, should we, uh, I guess we have some business to take care of before we do, uh, before we jump into cap stuff, right? Fittingly, before we jump into the cap stuff, we have a little bit of business to take care of. Absolutely. And we have a way for you to save some money. I think that's the big thing. We're thinking about the cap, how to you know, fit in a couple mid-levels and how to find a biannual exception and how to do all these things. And it's so much easier. Like, I don't even have to go through crazy things with SeatGeek. It's, it's so easy. Literally just get the app and check everything out that's there. It's very it's very simple, and I think that's one of the best parts about it is that it is so simple, it is so easy, it doesn't take a lot of work, and they're doing the work for you. You don't have to go to multiple websites. They're going to all the websites. They're finding all the great deals for you and putting them in front of you. So, uh, again, we talk about it so often, but really... Uh, again, I, I was I had a couple people uh, that were thinking about coming up for the Cardinals series. Obviously, I had done my undergrad there, and they were like, well, how do we get tickets? And I was like, well, just go to SeatGeek. It, it's that easy. And you can use the promo code that I have for my podcast. It's L-O-N-B-A. Again, that's L-O-N-B-A for Lockdown NBA. And that gets you a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. And to do it, all you got to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, Go to add a promo code and then add promo code LOMBA, and that gets you a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It's that easy. It's that simple. That's SeatGeek. All right, Frank. Uh, we teased this earlier in the week. We talked about possibly uh, talking about the cap and trying to give people a primer and a, an idea of kind of how this all works. And I had mentioned someone at Miller Park had said that to me. It was my good friend uh, Matt Pauly at... 620 WTMJ. He does all the the post game shows for uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, and he told me he's like I'm. He's like I, as I listen to you guys and Frank talks about the biannual exception. I'm wondering what what the hell is the biannual exception? And I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's a great question. And uh, I know at times we we shy away from this because you know so much about this. And I think there's a lot of times where you're worried about talking over people's heads. Um, And I think ultimately the goal today is to try to make that happen less. Um, So let's, let's dig right in. Uh, We, you, (coughs) you had asked on Twitter for kind of things you're curious about knowing about the cap. Um, So some of your followers gave us some suggestions Let's start here. Brendan asked, what is the best resource for understanding the mechanics of the cap? Is there a definitive guide or is it best to just read the CBA? Oh, I, you can find the actual CBA, uh, the new one uh, online. I would recommend, I mean, unless you're a, a, a labor lawyer or somebody who is just deranged about MBA, CBA stuff, I don't really recommend cracking it open. Um, I think I looked at looked at it like once or twice because there's just some absolute minutiae I was curious about. Um, but you're going to find 99.9% of what you need at cbafaq.com. Um, it's been the Bible for, for all kind of cap-related stuff. 
uh, Larry Kuhn, a good Twitter follower, a good Twitter follow. Um, he's the guy who's kind of behind it with uh, other people helping. Um, but but that's the kind of the best source. Uh, it's like set up as a big like hundred question FAQ. Um, it can be kind of tough to navigate as well, just because there's so many different topics. But um, again, if you if you're good at using the Control F function, uh, you can generally find find an answer to to most any question. Um, and then if you're looking for um, specific team information. Um, I'd say basketballinsiders.com generally has the best information. Uh, Eric Pincus uh, is on Twitter. He's the guy who does most of their cap-related stuff, and uh, they generally have pretty good uh, and usually pretty up-to-date uh, information for, for each team as far as like what their trade exceptions are, what cap holds are going to be for each team, in addition to obviously like the salaries of the players currently on the roster. Um, so those are generally the best places to to, to check out. And then, as I mentioned last time, you know, I, I keep my own little cap sheet, which I tweet out links to and stuff like that. So, you know, obviously most people, if you're already listening to this song, you probably already check my Twitter account pretty regularly. But, um, again, that you can find that, uh, that spreadsheet at bit.ly slash bucks cap, capital B, capital C. If you're ever feeling like really nerding out and looking at a spreadsheet of this stuff. Um, and I know, uh, our friend Ben Thompson suggested maybe just like going through the Bucks um, cap table and just sort of going through like player by player and you know hitting on kind of the the specifics of some of the deals in there because I think that that would be an easy way to kind of talk through some of the various situations, especially specific to the Bucks. Um, uh, we'll start today just by kind of going through more general questions and then obviously we've got uh, a lot of time here this summer where we can dig more into that stuff. Um, and I, I think. Uh, you know, a, a question that uh, I, I'll kind of step through these. A lot of the questions had to do with exceptions to the cap and cap holds and things like that. That that was probably the most common question. I'll get to that in a second. Um, Tweeter McGee asked, um, what's the difference between being under the luxury tax and being under the salary cap? Um, I mean, the, the, the basic idea of the cap and the tax are, are they're both set off of the total amount of revenue that the league takes in or, you know, basically a subset of league revenues. Um, and essentially they're just different percentages of that. And, and the luxury tax obviously is, you might guess is higher. Um, and I, I would start before I kind of get too deep into this. Um, and, and Eric, you can kind of keep me honest cause you know more about baseball and football than I do. I, I would say what makes the NBA cap so complicated is because, you know, on the one hand you've got baseball, which is, I mean, they have what they have some luxury tax stuff, but obviously they don't have a cap, right? This just do they still just have some luxury tax and revenue yep. sharing stuff? Yeah. So that's kind of like the most laissez-faire, do whatever you want type thing. So there's not doesn't seem like there are that many rules there. And then the NFL is on the other end where you know there's a hard cap, and because of that, really, you know, that's why you don't see as much guaranteed money in football because it's like if you if you're above the cap, you can't be right. Like you have to get to a specific number every year. So teams are a lot more averse to giving guaranteed money and things like that. I feel like a lot of times people assume that there's some like rule that gives more guaranteed money in NBA contracts. But to me, it's really mostly just the fact that players, a individual players are more important. So you don't have a 53 man roster or whatever. One player can make all the difference in the world for a basketball team in a way that they generally can't in a, in a football team. And then also just the fact that, I mean, if you screw up and give out a bad contract in the NBA, you can stretch the guy, you know, you can, you know, keep your star players with bird rights generally. Like you're not going to lose your superstar player because you made a bad signing of Miles Plumley a year ago, right? Um, so they're just the consequences Ouch. aren't as high. Yeah. So I would just say that. I mean, not, not to kind of go down that far, but but that's a big reason why you see so much guaranteed money in the NBA in terms of contracts is just because the consequences of giving out a bad contract aren't, aren't as high. 
Um, and again, you do see non-guaranteed contracts, but ultimately it's a market and, you know, it's just different in the NFL and NBA. Um, but kind of just getting back to the luxury tax salary cap. So right now, this year we have a $99 million salary cap. Um, we have $119 million roughly luxury tax. And there's also something called the tax apron, which is um, $6 million. It's always $6 million over the um, the luxury tax. And I won't get into the kind of the details of it, but there's certain c- scenarios in which um, you may hear the term hard capped. Uh, and that's when basically a, a team can't go above the apron. And there are kind of various reasons for that. But, um, you know, again, roughly, though, $20 million between the luxury tax and the salary cap. Um, and the salary cap is soft. And, and in the NBA, that means there are exceptions. And um, and I, we got to... Before gotta, you get there, Frank. Yeah, go ahead. So I heard a lot of things about a salary cap that was going to be $108 million. Why is the salary cap only $99 million? Yeah, so a couple years ago... Um, when the big new NBA uh, TV deal was announced, right, basically like tripled roughly the the TV contract, the annual yep. TV contract. Um, you ha- all of a sudden had all this, you know, and again, thinking about it through this perspective, the way the money flows, suddenly the league is dramatically increasing the amount of money that's flowing into, you know, the the team, you know, not just teams, but the, the, to start with the league, right? The, the, co- the collective bargaining agreement like roughly guarantees it's roughly about a 50-50 split between players and teams. And the way that players get that money is first and foremost, obviously through through obviously player salaries and, and through the cap. So the cap is not set at 50% of league revenues. It's set at a lower number, I think it's 44%. Um, but obviously teams go over the cap. Uh, they don't have a hard cap, so they spend over it. And basically at the end of the year, they kind of basically true it up so that players get 50%. And what's interesting is like there was so much money flowing into the t- through this TV deal um, that there was this expectation that um, first off the salary cap would spike dramatically the first year. I think I, th- I want to say the first the first projections a couple years ago of what the cap would do the following year was like it was first going to go to eighty nine million, um, I think from around seventy million, and then it was going to go to one hundred and eight million the year after. Yep. And the reason the reason it was going to go up by massive amounts in consecutive years was that basically a lot of it was a sort of idea of like, well, teams aren't going to be able to sort of spend all the money right away. <laughs> so there's basically going to be <laughs> oh, you sold them be, short. There's basically going to be this need to you know because c- it's not like the TV money was coming in, the spike was coming in over two years, right? It was coming in kind of like a huge lump, more or less immediately. And that's why you may have heard talk about like, well, cap smoothing and the the league wanted cap smoothing and the players rejected it. And the league basically wanted to make sure that the cap didn't just dramatically go up by like a one time amount one year and, you know, basically create this situation where you have all this money available for free agents that year. And if you're not a free agent that year, then you don't you don't basically get any of that like huge, huge jump. Now, salaries are obviously going up overall. The cap is obviously trending way up, you know players are going to get paid more overall. The market's going to get paid more, are going to get, you know, there's not, there's going to be a higher quote unquote market value for players, obviously, and the cap is going up. But, um, but the next year, obviously we've seen it, right? There's a little bit of whiplash effect where teams typically are so desperate to spend all their cap money one year that, um, they're not looking ahead to the a year, two years down the road in many cases and, and trying to budget out. And, 
what you're alluding to is the fact that, again, we thought that it was going to be really over a two-year period. What ended up happening was teams spent so much money right away, and the, basically the cap went up more initially, and then it ended up not going up as much in that second year. So I think even as of the start of July, last free agency period, you know, when some of these big deals are being agreed to, I think at that point, the cap expectation for this year was around 107 million, and I think around like 127 for the luxury tax. So when Toledovich and Delavadova signed, the Bucks and the rest of the league were thinking, oh, we're going to have a cap of 107 next year. And then basically, the league shortly thereafter said, whoa, you guys spent all this money. We're now projecting that the cap <laughs> you guys is going to go down. All the money. <laughs> so then the cap projection, the league, the league provides this guidance to teams. The league projection went down to 102 million. And then for various reasons, including the fact that the playoffs were so short, I'm sure a lot of people heard about that. The playoffs were short. There were fewer playoff games that meant less revenue for teams, you know, from longer playoff series. Um, the cap went, the, the projection went down even further. So the cap still went up this year versus last year, but it only went up, I think, about five million rather than, you know, eight million, which we thought a year ago and a year and, you know, start of July last year, we thought it was going to go up by even more. So teams definitely, I think part of the reason you're seeing all these teams, you know, a lot of these guys get getting, I don't say screwed over, but a lot of free agents this year being sorely disappointed when they don't get their Miles Plumley contract. I don't know. I think you could probably say screwed over. Like teams really overspent last summer. Like that is right. that is so very clear. And I think there's a number of quality players out there that that probably shouldn't be signing for the minimum. There should at least be smaller mid-level deals. And again, we'll get into mid-level exceptions, but they, I feel like there should have been smaller deals for some of the guys that are still out there. Yeah, that, that's fair. And. And but this is really I mean this a lot of this falls on the players because the league wanted to smooth the cap and again you can basically smooth the cap but then because the the players are guaranteed a fifty fifty split like the end of the day money going to players like it's not like players if the cap goes up more gradually like necessarily have to be screwed it just means that you know you could do something where well the players at the end of the year get you know everybody gets basically a check written to get them up to fifty percent right in which case. You're, you're doing it a lot more equally versus basically having all the value go to the guys who happen to be free agents that summer, right? So, I mean, I think a lot of people point at the players and the, and the players' associations being pretty short-sighted yep. uh, in terms of the way they approach that. Um, and there's obviously a lot of politics and agents and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the quote-unquote market value of, of centers uh, was probably never higher than it was last summer. But, you know, the kind of bubble burst a little bit this summer. So we'll see how that kind of evolves going forward. I have another question, Frank. Uh, and again, we'll get to other some of the questions submitted. But you talk about the luxury tax and a soft cap, and I believe something like nine, maybe ten teams are looking at being in the tax next summer, like uh, with extensions and, and things like that. What? Why is the tax scary? Like, if I have a great team, why don't I just just say whatever? Screw it. I'll pay a couple more million dollars every year. Like, why wouldn't I just do that? Yeah, and we had um, we had one question. Um, I think that was specifically about the luxury tax. Let me just see who who asked it. Um, let me see here. I want to want to make sure we uh, we uh, we answer it. But I mean the. The basic idea is um, the tax is a punitive one. So you may have heard the term repeater tax. So um, the the higher, the more over the tax you are, the the greater the tax level is w- 
in a given year. And then if you're in the tax in consecutive years, you pay an even higher rate than you do if it's just a one year thing. So you hear a team like Cleveland getting hit with the repeater tax. Um, there's basically a, it's a punitive thing from a financial standpoint. And if you're in the luxury tax, there's also other kind of strategic reasons from a, a flexibility standpoint that, you know, you become more constrained. Um, so there's a huge incentive. If you're like right on the cusp of being in or out of the tax, like the bucks are right now, they're what, like 1.4 million, something like that. They project to be depending on the Tony Snell deal. Um, they project to be into the tax right now. There's a lot of reasons, not just financial. So first off, if you're in the luxury tax, um, all that money, the, the luxury tax payments go into basically a pool. And the league has a lot of discretion over how that's used. But effectively, like half of it gets paid out to teams that are not in the luxury tax. So the more teams that are in the luxury tax, the more money that's going into that luxury tax pool, um, the more incentive a team on the margin has to get out of it. Because it could mean that you get you know, your, your share of however many million. I mean, you're, you're talking about potentially a few million dollars easily that... Um, because, you know, you didn't stretch Spencer Hawes or something like that, um, that all of a sudden, you know, you just missed out on a few million dollars, right? Which in the grand scheme, again, we, we talk about player salaries and it's like, well, you know, the teams spend so much money. But, you know, you think about the grand scheme of a team's budget, um, a few million dollars is, is a lot of money, right? And, and maybe to some teams, it's, it, it doesn't matter as much. But um, certainly for a team like the Bucks, it, it does matter. And again, um, you know, the repeater tax matters. It's more punitive financially. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be, if you basically if using your mid-level exception, we'll talk about the mid-level in a moment, but if, if using that puts you over the apron, so 6 million plus the luxury tax puts you over 125 million, um, you have a smaller mid-level to use. So you, you can't spend as much money um, that summer. You also can't do sign and trades. Um, you don't have a biannual exception, which is a smaller exception you can use. But anyway, I think we're we're kind of getting ahead of uh, ahead of ourselves a little bit there. So um, why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about sort of generally like what what these different exceptions are? And okay, um, as we I said, a- we we have like three questions about it. One, uh, Patrick asked, please explain the exceptions, available ones, how obtained, how they can and cannot be used, how they affect the cap and luxury tax. Phew. Yes, it's it's a lot, Patrick. Uh, BJ asks, when does the middle-level exception come into play? What does that mean? Also, trade exceptions. And then finally, Justin asks, don't have a question really. Would just like to know more info about mid-level in trade exceptions. So um, I guess let's hop into exceptions. It's kind of, I think it can be kind of a ex- confusing topic because there's different types of exceptions. There's different exceptions for kind of teams when you're in, as you already mentioned, in different tax brackets. Um, I guess I'm not really sure how you want to attack this. So uh, I'm going to let you go. If you need me to hop in and try to help clarify on the way, I will be happy to do so. Well, yeah, and and you can keep me honest if I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole too much. I'm going to treat these pretty superficially. Again, um, if you want uh, more detail, there is definitely a lot more detail on, on a lot of these in terms of, you know, especially like some of the exceptions, like you can't sign players to the same number of years for all of them, different things like that. But I would generally break down sort of salary cap exceptions. And again, this is what is at the heart of the idea of a soft cap and why teams can go over the cap um, to to sign their own players, sign other players, et cetera. And I would really break it down. There are exceptions for re-signing your own players. Um, that's probably like the most 
famous, if that's the right word, but that's probably the most common thing that people are aware of. You know, they, they know that there's something around called bird rights. And honestly, and that, I would say, I don't think anyone thinks of that as an exception. Like I, I yeah. think people think of that as a totally different thing, but it is an exception. Yeah. I, I mean, basically by exceptions, I mean, pretty much anything that lets you go over the salary cap. Yeah. And, um, you know, typically people think of, um, being able to go over the cap to resign your own players. And it's, uh, I think, uh, it, you know, that's sort of the base thing, you know, that you can resign your own players go over the cap to do so um uh, other people are aware that to have what's called kind of full bird rights um and bird is capital b as in larry bird um you need to have that guy be on you know at least a three-year deal with your team or consecutive one-year deals with your team or if he signed a multi a three-year contract a four-year contract five-year contract somewhere else and was traded to your team without being waived um, his bird rights also transfer over. So like Spencer Hawes, for instance, you know, has only been with the Bucks one year. He's opted into his deal. Uh, his previous deal was longer than, than two years. So and again, this may be irrelevant if he's waived, but next summer he would technically be a full bird free agent with the Bucks, for an example. Um, so a full bird free agent um, is basically somebody that you can resign to any amount up to their max. So you know, and ironically, I'm going to use Spencer Haas again, but Spencer Haas' salary is like six million bucks. If he were to stay with the Bucks, and next summer, no matter what the the Bucks cap situation was, if they maintain their their bird rights with him, um, they could sign him for a max contract if they really wanted yes. to, regardless, regardless yes. of their regardless of their cap situation. Um, now, there there are weaker forms of those those exceptions too, right? And this is something that I think a lot of people maybe aren't aware of. So um, there's the early bird exception. That's basically like a two-year guy who's been with the, a team for two years. So interestingly, Greg Monroe, if he had opted out this summer, would not have been a full bird free agent because he would have only have been with the Bucks for two years. Okay. But um, so that means that the Bucks could not have necessarily signed him to a max contract. And actually, I'd have to do the math on it. But but essentially, an early bird contract lets you sign the guy for 175% of his previous salary. So again, you can give the guy a big raise. You can't necessarily max him out, right? If the guy was you know, making $5 million a year, you couldn't go out and, and if you're over the cap, use that that exception to go sign him to you know a $25 million max contract. So there's some limits to it. But for a guy like Greg Monroe, it really didn't matter because we know he would not have gotten any raise on his current salary. So if he had been a free agent, if the Bucks had you know not renounced his rights, and we'll talk about what renouncing means, um, they could have resigned him to to another contract, even if they were over the cap, and even though they didn't have you know, quote unquote full bird rights. Um, and then the weakest form of uh, bird rights, which is called no, a non-bird free agent, which um, as the CBA FAQ will tell you, it's kind of a misnomer because. It is basically a form of, of bird rights, and that allows you to sign a player for 120% of their previous salary. Um, and, and so, again, you can give the guy a little raise. But the basic, the basic reason why, it's, why they have these rules is basically so, um, you know, for instance, if LeBron wanted to go to the Lakers, let's say the Lakers had no cap room, okay? Um, if LeBron wanted to go to the Lakers next summer, uh, he couldn't sign, like, a one-year minimum contract and then the next summer sign a max contract, right? Um, they would have to have cap space. Or they would have to do something to to basically open up room to sign him without um, without that exception because they wouldn't have him on full bird um, and he was coming off a really cheap deal. And I think I want to say I remember Danny Manning in the 90s 
Um, he signed, they basically, this used to be a loophole. And I think it was Danny Manning was kind of a famous example. I think he signed with the Suns for like a million oh, bucks. Oh yeah, like yeah, that. no he didn't. And then, and then basically it was like, oh, wink, wink, we'll sign Correct. you for one year. And then the next year he signed a really big contract. And so the idea was to basically force players or not allow teams to essentially sign guys to, to one year deals. Like for instance, the Warriors could have given JaVale McGee a max deal if, if this loophole didn't, didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Instead. Because um, he was on a one-year contract, he he would uh, not have been eligible for that due to that. So basically, the, those those are exceptions for re-signing kind of your current players, so that it makes sure that you you know you don't lose your own star players, which obviously is very important. The NBA prioritizes that. And, and I was gonna say, with those, those are all pretty much based on service time, like service time with that team, or yeah, I mean the again, like if you trade a guy who's who signed a three-year deal then his bird rights will transfer over with him, right? Okay. So you'll have a full full bird rights, um, even though he was traded. The the main thing is he can't be he can't be waived and then you sign him as a free agent and then, you know, a year later he's not gonna have full bird rights, even if he, you know, previously signed a three year deal. Um, and important to note, so I, I won't get too much into restrictive free agency because I think we've talked about that a lot. We can talk about that in the future with Jabari and things like that. But um, but restrictive free agents uh, coming off, you know, first round rookie deals um, those tend to have full bird rights. Um, you may sometimes hear rookies uh, coming off two years uh, have this arenas rule provision. Those guys are early bird free agents, but there's basically some rules um, in place such that basically a team can't lose that guy even though he's not uh, a full bird free agent. So I won't get into the details of that. It doesn't really apply to the Bucks ever because the Bucks always sign their second round picks to three-year deals as well so mm-hmm. the the arenas rule with early bird guys coming off two-year contracts um that doesn't really tend to apply to the bucks i'm going to skip that um let's move into kind of this other category and we alluded to it basically the exceptions for signing other teams free agents right and the mid-level exception is the most famous of those because it was you know originally this this thing that was supposed to be like the average nba salary um and this year it's set at 8.4 million um and the kind of thing that that changed um a few years ago was that basically they they split the mid-level into a non-tax and a taxpayer mid-level so the taxpayer mid-level is 5.2 million the non-tax mid-level is 8.4 million you can sign um you know basically every team coming into their offseason that isn't paying the tax will get a mid-level exception unless they have so much cap space that basically like you know they don't need any of these exceptions um then you know if, if you have if you have like 50 million in cap space the league doesn't even give you the mid-level because basically why would it, you need it yeah you still have cap space after it and yeah, essentially the idea is um you either have these exceptions or you have cap space you kind of pick one or the other and we can talk about that in a little bit because if you're sort of on the margin if you have um you know 10 million in cap space but you have the mid-level exception the biannual exception some trade exceptions for instance the bucks have one trade exception that's worth five million dollars strategically you can actually choose as a team you can renounce all those exceptions and have 10 million in cap space that you can go spend whatever you want but you don't have um, some of these other exceptions or you can keep all those exceptions because maybe those give you more flexibility give you a little bit more money to work with so it, it's a very that kind of gets into kind of the more minutia of the cap i think we talked about that a little bit coming into the summer because the bucks could have been in that situation if Greg Monroe had opted out, if Spencer Hawes hadn't opted out, but that's obviously not the world that the Bucks live in. But the mid-level is the most famous one. That's the, the kind of biggest value one. It can be split among multiple players. Um, this year, for instance, the Bucks, um, because they signed Sterling Brown to a three-year contract, um, 
there is an exception for minimum contracts. Teams, no matter what, how much salary they have, if they're in the tax, if they're not, can always sign guys to up to a two-year minimum contract because the Bucks always sign their rookies to three-year deals. Um, and also, oftentimes, they sign them for more than the minimum. Sterling Brown, I think, did get the minimum. But because it was three years, they actually used part of their mid-level exception to sign Sterling Brown. So, for instance, if the Bucks. Um, and they're in a little bit of a weird spot because they're so close to the tax apron. So they, they don't really have the full mid-level to use. Um, because again, the, the tax, the, the, the taxpayer mid-level, basically the way they do it is if using the full mid-level would put you over the tax apron, which is this right now it's 125 million, then they basically say, okay, you can't use that. Then you have to use the taxpayer mid-level. So it kind of is work backwards for that one. But bottom line Another reason why it's good to not pay the tax, you have a bit more flexibility to go out and um, and sign this. And you get that every summer, right? So if you're um, a team that's always capped out, um, that's over the tax, um, for instance, you know you have some flexibility there to, to have that mid-level um, exception available to you uh, every summer. And that's a, an obvious way that you can kind of keep adding salary even if you have a big payroll. The best way to continue to add salary is we keep your own players, right, and resign them with those those bird exceptions um, that that I talked about before. Um, a couple other kind of other exceptions you can use on on other free agents: the biannual exception, which you mentioned. It's called the biannual because you can only use it every other year. You can't use it in consecutive years. It's for t- up to two years. Um, this year it starts at three point three million. Um, so again, it's not a big tool for adding, you know, a big name player, but uh, you know, again, it, it can be used at times. Um, and then in a more recent thing that was added in terms of an exception was what's called the room mid-level exception. And, you know, normally if you're a team that, that opts to have cap space to maximize your cap space, you know, the, the mid-level and the biannual, they, they actually count against your cap until you basically say, we don't want them. Um, so if you renounce the mid-level biannual, the one exception which you can keep um, among these types of, of exceptions is is the room mid level. So um, you know a team that has a ton of cap space, they can go and sign a bunch of free agents, and then even once they're up to the cap, they actually also have their room mid level, which is uh, up to a starting salary of four point three million. So it's a bit more uh, flexibility for for teams that that do have cap space, and um, and it's one more complication for for everybody to try to get their mind around. Um, <laughs> I don't know any any anything 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 I didn't cover with all those exceptions. Any any obvious questions? The, they're different level like lengths of time you can sign guys for things like that. But um, but I think I covered the the high level of what they what they are. Yeah, I, I think you you took care of that. There's also another family of exceptions that we haven't gotten to, and it's one that strangely the bucks have kind of been involved with with trade exceptions and uh the delhi move last summer was a sign in trade which allowed the cavaliers to have a large trade exception which they ended up using uh the bucks had a trade exception with roy hibbert what's a what's a trade exception yeah trade exceptions are probably the most misunderstood i'd say of the exceptions um the first thing is teams don't trade trade exceptions between another so really a trade exception is is generated it 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 is it comes into being when you make certain types of transactions and probably the easiest way to think of it is you know we can use this example of the Roy Hibbert deal so i think denver was you know well under the the um not well under but they were under the uh cap minimum 
So teams have to spend 90% of the salary cap each year, or basically they have to pay the difference. And the kind of way you, the loophole in this is that, um, you know, essentially late in the season at the trade deadline, a team that, for instance, Roy Hibbert had a $5 million contract. Um, the Bucks, I think that was, I think the trade deadline is roughly two thirds of the way through the season. So the Bucks basically had, you know, let's say a third of that left to pay 1.7 million or so. The, the, the quirk of this is that the Nuggets were under the salary cap minimum. And what they were able to do is they were able to trade for Roy Hibbert, reduce the amount of money that they would have had to pay. I don't know if it put them over, but basically reduce the amount of money that they would have to write a check for to basically, usually I think it just goes to like the players on your team. And, you know, basically you just, you just write a check for the difference. There's not like some big penalty to, for not paying up to the salary cap minimum, but effectively it could say that's them also the called five, the floor, correct? The floor. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a bad, I think that's, I don't know why I was calling it the minimum, but yeah, the salary cap floor. Um, see, that's why we pay you the big bucks, Eric. You got to keep me honest here. <laughs> um, but essentially, it was they were able to play a game because they would only have to pay Roy Hibbert $1.7 million in actual salary the rest of the year. But they were able to count his full salary um, against the the cap floor. So it was like a nice little thing. And that's why the Bucks were able to just give him away to the Nuggets. And the quirk, though, here is that because the Bucks, you know, again, were a team that was over the cap, they sent $5 million out, but they took no money back. I think it might have been a top fifty-five protected pick deal, which it is was. code for is code for this thing will never convey. <laughs> so it's basically like here, well, let's just give you this guy for free, and we got to yep. send you something back. So essentially, um, Denver absorbed his salary. The Bucks got nothing in return, but they didn't have to pay his one point seven million dollars either. So that's good. Um, but they also got something for their troubles, namely um, a five million dollar trade exception. And I, I rarely hear anybody talk about this, but basically. A trade exception is is created by what's called a non-simultaneous trade. So it's this idea that if you if you trade a single player um, to for 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 instance, it could be for another player who makes less money, or it could be to a team that has cap space, such as Denver had. But basically, if you send out more money than you take back, you essentially get a credit that you have one year to go use on something else. So I don't know if calling it like store credit is a good <laughs> is a good way to think about it, um, but it's essentially sort of this little, you know, it's your little gift certificate that says in the Bucks, for instance, now they have this $5 million uh, trade exception that they could go out and they could go absorb some other team's player for up who makes up to $5 million um, and not have to send any salary out. So even though the Bucks are, are over the, the salary cap, this is another exception, right? They are able to go and add salary without having to send any back because, well, less than a year ago, we did the opposite. We sent a bunch of money out. Now we can take a bunch of money back. So, what if they had a deal for an eleven million dollar deal, like, or eleven million dollar player like John Henson? <laughs> um, just, uh, I mean, I, that just came to the top of my head. Um, and could they use it in that way, like with a five million, like a five million dollar difference between a contract? Or does it have to be they're not getting a player, they're just getting something into that space? Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, well, I mean, if they tra- I mean, if they trade, you're talking about trading John Henson away, or, or what do you mean? Yeah, like if there would be a $5 million difference, could they use that credit in that way? Like with the, oh. with the incoming player? Do you understand what no, I'm saying? No, yeah, like for a $16 million player? Correct. Yeah, no, you, th- that's one of the limitations. So trade exceptions can't be used to sign free agents. 
Um, they can't be aggregated with other trade exceptions. So if you have a $5 million trade exception and a $2 million trade exception, you can't go acquire a $7 million player by adding them together. So there's a fair bit of limitations on how a trade exception can be used. Um, and and one of the key things, too, I mean, this gets starts to get into the minutia of it as well, but um, there are limitations uh, in, in terms of when you generate it, too, like, um, I'm sure a lot of people are aware, you know, like when you're trying to make salaries roughly match and the rules now have changed a little bit. They're different standards for um, how close salaries have to be, depending on again whether you're a tax paying team or a non-tax paying team and how much salary is going in and out. Um, but it, the the basic idea is um, you're not you can't create a trade exception if it's a deal where you're sending out at, where you're aggregating salaries that you're sending out. So. Um, if the Bucks had traded Roy Hibbert and you know somebody else for something else, and they needed those two players together in order to to make that trade, they couldn't have generated a trade exception out of it. Um, where it gets complicated is a lot of times uh, you're able to break up a big trade into multiple smaller trades. So even though in aggregate, you know the teams agree this is one big package technically if you can do it as like one for ones um you can then tr create trade exceptions that way so that kind of again it gets in a little bit of the the, the minutiae of of mm -hmm. this stuff but um but tr i would say trade exceptions like if you're saying like i mean fundamentally it's like, okay so the bucks have a five million dollar trade exception is that useful for anything um you know in in years where there's a lot of cap space i would say probably not um you know again if the bucks had had flexibility to create cap space this summer then they would have actually lost their trade exceptions because they would have renounced them in order to because uh, it would have counted against the cap this summer as well um like the biannual exception the middle level exception if the bucks you know were let's say 20 million dollars under the cap to actually have that much money to use you'd have to basically get rid of all these exceptions and say to the league basically i don't want these i'm gonna go use my money as cap space instead so by virtue of the fact that the bucks actually did not have cap space um that's why they still have these exceptions because Obviously, it's like, well, we, we could actually potentially use these. Problem for the Bucks is they're not really in a position to go add salary without sending any back out right now, as we've uh, talked about many times. So they'd really have to do something else to reduce salary first. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means the trade exception potentially isn't of much value to them right now, uh, unless, again, they were able to reduce their salary by some other means or, you know, if they waived uh, or they sorry, they stretched Spencer Hawes then they could uh, they could potentially, you know, add somebody with a trade exception. But um, again, they also have, um, you know, part of their mid-level exception left as well, which, uh, again, I don't think they're going to use unless they get under the luxury tax. So they're they're kind of hemmed in by the luxury tax. And, you know, I didn't mention it earlier, but for most teams, for the reasons mentioned, most teams treat the luxury tax like kind of a hard cap. You know, again, they can go over that. Um, they can go over that up until the end of the season, right? Um, the only thing that matters is where your luxury tax number is at the end of the year. So you can operate over the luxury tax for much of the season and then make some moves, you know, mid-season uh, to try to get under it. And that happens pretty regularly. Um, but again, you if you can help it, you really don't want to be over the luxury tax. It's just, you know, financially and, and also just from a flexibility standpoint, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not really just a, like, oh, our, you know, is ownership too cheap to pay the luxury tax? If you're the Bucks right now, 
you don't want to pay the luxury tax. Like you're not going to pay the luxury tax because you didn't want to, you know, stretch Spencer Hawes or something like that. It's just doesn't make a lot of sense. So again, you may kind of put off making a move like that because you want to stay flexible and see if some, some other opportunity comes along where you can maybe get under the tax, um, without having to, you know, again, eat some salary or stretch it over multiple years like you would with a stretch. But, um, but there's just a lot of good reasons to, to get under the tax. Um, so yeah, trade exceptions complicated. Um, and of limited use, I would say. So I feel like they get talked about a lot, but I don't know. I don't think they're that potent, that really that valuable, especially for the Bucks right now. You took the words out of my mouth exactly. I was going to say, I think of exceptions, I feel like trade exceptions get brought up a lot, and I think it's probably because people just don't understand them very much. Yeah, don't um, get excited about a trade exception. Correct. And like you said, like you can't you can't trade trade exception. Like and the way I was thinking, like you can't find a five million dollar difference to use your five million dollar trade exception to bring in a player that's better than your like that does that doesn't work. Like you can't do those things. So I, I totally agree. I think they're talked about. Um, I don't want to say the most of any exceptions because obviously uh, I, I think we talk a lot about the mid level and we talk about bird rights all the time. Um, but I do think the trade exception is talked about a lot, but ultimately rarely all that helpful um, for people. And and I think that's part of the reason why so many people have been kind of impressed with what david griffin was able to do in cleveland with those trade exceptions like that doesn't happen like he he kind of he kind of was just a magician with the cap sheet and somehow found a way to use trade exceptions to bring guys in and to make things happen and um yeah there there's kind of like you said some of that capology stuff that he he just knew really well and he was able to be an expert in and made it happen but for the most part trade exceptions aren't really all that uh important to i guess obviously it's another part of the cap to know and learn but i don't know if that would be the most important part for fans to totally grasp um let's go to another question here um and i think this is a question that was brought up uh, by our friend aj because well it's it's one that just kind of keeps coming up and it keeps coming up because of jabari parker it's one you've mentioned the last couple weeks um and his question is how do cap holds work and does renouncing rights have any negative impact yeah so so cap holds are i would describe them as sort of the the other the flip side of of a lot of these exceptions so as i mentioned you know the mid-level exception those types of exceptions trade exceptions those those count against the cap those effectively have cap holds you could say but but usually when we talk about cap holds we're talking about basically placeholder values for free agents with which a team has some type of form of, of bird rights or uh, oftentimes restricted free agents are usually kind of where you talk a lot about cap holds because um, their salaries and their cap holds uh, are often very very different um, so the the basic idea is that it, it sort of offsets the the loophole associated with bird rights. So um, essentially, the idea is if a team had all expiring contracts um, and their their you know committed salary for next year, if they go into July first with no salary on their books for next year, but they happen to have a bunch of guys that they want to re-sign, the whole idea is that they don't have you know 
$99 million in cap space. So um, the whole idea is that, well, if you want to have the privilege of, of going over the cap to re-sign your own players, then those guys should count for something on your cap until you actually do that. Um, so again, uh, the exceptions are a way to go over the cap. Cap holds are a way to sort of constrain some of that spending a little bit. So um, probably like, Jabari Parker is an interesting one to look at um, because you know, again, right now he's on a rookie deal. Next year he's going to be paid a little under seven million dollars. Um, and cap holds are are just generally basically a, a percentage of a player's previous salary. Um, and the kind of most extreme example is for a player like Jabari, who uh, is coming off the will be coming off the last year of his rookie contract. Um, this actually went up in the most recent CBA uh, from 250% to 300%. So Jabari's cap hold next summer is over $20 million. So basically, uh, the importance of that is, so the Bucks have to make a qualifying offer, which I think I mentioned the other day is sort of like the you know minimum you have to offer the guy for one year in order to have the right to <laughs> hold him prisoner with his restricted free agent rights. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll likely be something in like the, four to five million dollar range just because um jabari's injury will basically prevent him from qualifying for the normal qualifying offer which if he played 2000 minutes or started 41 games would be around nine million um so the bucks basically before july 1st next year they have to offer him four and a half million dollars and say here jabari if you want this you can take it and if you take it uh he'll have basically a no trade clause and he'll be an unrestricted free agent uh one year later but he can't sign a multi-year deal, obviously, if he takes the qualifying offer. So very few guys do it. But throughout the time that he's he's unsigned, if the Bucks basically make that qualifying offer, retain his restricted free agent rights, retain his bird rights, um, he'll count for $20 million against the Bucks cap. So basically, if you look at where the Bucks are next summer, um, I think there's something on the order of you know, $90 million or so in projected um, salary, including uh, if you include Rashad Vaughn and, and Thon Maker, uh, their options, and and basically I have a, a like a two million dollar placeholder for their first round pick next summer. Who again, that first round pick will count against the salary cap next summer, um, even before they sign. So you, you get to about ninety million dollars or so. Um, and the I think that what's what's really important. I um, sorry that does not include Rashad Vaughn. Um, so. What's important, though, is that basically if you're at $90 million and the cap projected to be at 102, you can say, oh, you'd have $12 million in cap space. Eh, Just wait a second. If you have Jabari Parker's qualifying offer out there, it might only be for $4.5 million, but his his cap hold will be over 20. So basically it wipes out all the Bucks cap space. Mm -hmm. So effectively, if the Bucks want to keep Jabari Parker next summer, basically you're going to be in a situation where you're not going to have cap space. So what does that mean? Okay, you don't have cap space. So. What do we learn? All right, no cap space, but you have your mid-level exception. Um, they haven't used their biannual exception this summer, so that will have their biannual exception. Um, and again, if they have trade exceptions at that point, they can keep them. Um, although important to note, like the $5 million trade exception, they're all, trade exceptions are always valid for a year. So the Hibbert trade exception will will lapse uh, next February. So um, so anyway, so, so that's really important to understand with these tra- with these cap holds. Um, the the way that they can dramatically swing a team from you know having cap space versus not having cap space um, and and basically all these free agents that you have some form of these bird rights with generally do have some type of of capital I mean 
technically Michael Beasley and Jason Terry do have cap holds uh, right now with the Bucks because they are, again, they're not full bird free agents. Um, I think Beasley, I want to say he was on a two-year deal, so I think he'd technically be an early bird free agent, and Jet is, um, I think, just a non-bird free agent because he only signed for a one-year deal. Um, now, regardless of those those rights, the, the minimum, there is this other salary, I think the exception I mentioned earlier, a team can always sign a guy to a minimum contract. And obviously those guys, especially Jet, would seem like a minimum guy anyway. But um, technically the Bucks could offer them a little bit more than that by using one of those exceptions. Um, and again, since they don't have cap space, there's no real reason to renounce uh, renounce those cap holds. And again, they don't count against like the luxury tax bill. You know, like it's just a cap hold, right? Luxury tax, the that calculation does involve the actual salaries you're paying out. So um so yeah, so cap holds are, are very important. And I think frequently what people do, you know, when there's always that temptation, if you're going to look at a team's cap sheet, you go add up all the player salaries that are on the books. And then you look at the cap number and you subtract the salaries from the cap number and you say, oh, look, they have, you know, 90 million committed and 102 <laughs> yeah. million in our cap. They have $12 million in cap space. Well, what about their first round pick? What about players who have cap holds? Um, that's usually what kind of, tends to make that that pretty complicated and um i think there was a question uh, i think the question about renouncing rights so so basically if you want like if if you know for, if for whatever reason the bucks decide next summer like we don't want anything to do with jabari parker we want that 12 million dollars in cap space they can renounce jabari's uh jabari's restricted free agent rights um and then basically they they lose the ability to go over the cap to re-sign him um, they would lose the right to match his con- match contract offers as well, since he's a restricted free agent. Um, they can they can match other teams' offer sheets, which is different from you know a typical unrestricted free agent. Um, but they would wipe that that cap hold off their books and be able to spend more money. Now, again, at this point, I don't think there'd be any reason to really do that. I don't know what you're going to do with your 12 million. Um, but obviously, the Jabari <laughs> the Jabari contract question is uh, a, a a pretty big one to unpack, which uh, I don't think we have time to talk about right now. No, I was going to say also, I think we'll have plenty of time to, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Jabari Parker uh, contract situation as the summer moves forward. Uh, Let's go to, oh, what question do I want to do next? Uh, Let's go with uh, stage banter guy who would ask, how do you become a capologist for an NBA team? What's the usual career path for a person with that title? Well, this is my good friend Andy. Um, well, I think he's being a little bit facetious here, but I, I would say this: uh, becoming the cap a cap expert is probably, I would say, the fastest way for for nerds and and lawyers and and other people of that ilk who maybe don't uh, don't have a playing pedigree. Uh, the fastest way for those types of people to to claim some legitimacy in a front office, probably, um, you know, it, again, it's it, you can always teach yourself this stuff. So um, so that's probably helped. Now, I don't I, I'm not aware of any team that uh, has someone with the title of capologist, you know, typically uh, like John Horst previously, you know, guys who are assistant GMs or in, you know, sort of John Horst was at like rung lower director of basketball operations, usually guys like that. Um, sometimes analytics guys, um, a lot of times those are the types of guys who, uh, you know, bury their, their faces in, uh, in, in the CBA and more realistically, maybe CBAFAQ.com, um, and sort of become, uh, try to build up some expertise in, uh, in that area. So, uh, so yeah, if you, uh, if you are a college student and your dream is of, 
uh, worming your way into an internship and becoming uh, part of a front office at some point, you, it's never too early to uh, to start getting smart on uh, on the salary cap because even if you you haven't played basketball at a high level, at least you can kind of teach yourself that that type of stuff. And and obviously at this point, like if you're a GM and you don't know if you don't have a pretty strong base of knowledge in in the in the the collective bargaining agreement pretty tough to be good at your job all right let's move to a question from kevin salmon hopefully it's salmon and not salmon um can you go over the details around extensions for Giannis? assume we can extend him at some point like harden did question mark um when slash how many years and also how does the designated player factor in as he will most likely be eligible soon um i i guess let's just start here Giannis has a four-year 100 million dollar contract it starts this summer it's starting now um so we are a little bit away uh from that next extension uh but yeah let's talk about that a little bit what what does the the next contract for Giannis look like? Even though, again, the the world could change quite a bit uh, in the next four years, but what does that next contract look like for Giannis? Yeah, so players are eligible for extensions after the third year of a contract. So basically, if you know if you have a two year deal, you're you're not ever going to be eligible for an extension. Um, for instance, Chris Middleton will be technically eligible for an extension um, next summer because his deal is so low, and the Bucks right now don't project to have cap space. Um, it's probably not realistic to think that they could extend him um, because, again, uh, they, you can't really extend guys typically for much more than their current deal. But um, Giannis is a unique player, obviously, because uh, there's a very good chance he's going to be eligible for this um, designated veteran player extension, which um, is basically another uh, means by which the league is hoping to uh, allow kind of smaller market teams and basically teams that develop guys to, to be able to keep them beyond uh, the first big contract they give them. So uh, essentially this allows teams after a player's seventh or eighth season, um, depending on whether they signed a four or five year um, rookie extension, uh, they can go and after the third year, uh, give them a, a new contract extension. Uh, and the kicker here is that it allows them if they are eligible and the eligibility is basically, um, typically it'll be, you have to either be all NBA for second or third team the year that you sign the extension or two of the previous three years. So at this point, you know, for Giannis, the target year, his contract is ending in 2021 after the third year would be summer of 2020. So that would be the year that he'd be eligible for this type of extension. So did so, this all NBA not really, this all NBA no. wouldn't count for any of that, right? Right, exactly. So the next three, so if he makes all NBA the next two years, it won't matter if he makes it the third year. Um, otherwise, you know, basically he has to make it two out of the next three or in the nineteen twenty season. And if he does that, or if you win defensive player of the year or MVP, which could be in play as well, but usually you're going to get the all NBA nod as well on that side. Um, but basically if you can meet one of those standards, um, then you're eligible for, um, not just this early extension, but, but you can get 35% of the cap rather than 30%. So normally you have to get to your 10 seasons of eligibility or 10 seasons of experience before you're eligible for 35% of the cap. Um, you know, typically, Giannis on his next deal, if he were to become a free agent in 2021, another team could only offer him 30% of the salary cap. Um, what the Bucks, if in theory, knock on wood, if everything goes well, um, he should be eligible for 35% of the cap as an extension. 
and he should be able to be getting getting that in the summer of 2020. It can be a five-year extension with 8% raises again in the summer of 2021. If he became a free agent, um, another team would only be able to offer him 5% raises and a four-year contract, which I think if like based on where the cap is projected to be, you're basically talking about you know, something on the order of a four-year, 150-something million dollar contract for another team versus being able to sign a five-year, $240 million extension in the summer of 2020. So if Giannis turns down a, a five-year, $240 million extension in the summer of 2020, that's when you start to be panicked about like, whoa, what, <laughs> does he want to leave? Because again, there's a ton of money. You know, again, you're getting the money sooner and you're locking that up and it's coming at higher raises. You get an extra year. Um, it, it's a ton of money, obviously. So, um, so yeah, so summer of 2020 is, is the earliest they could offer in that type of extension. He'd have to qualify through one of those awards, which at this point you would expect, you know, certainly, um, that, that he would. And, uh, and it would give obviously the Bucks a big advantage in terms of being able to resign. To be clear, neither Paul George or Gordon Hayward were, were able to sign that size of contract extension this summer, correct? Right. They were not eligible because they didn't make an all NBA team this year or, or two of the previous three years. So, um, so yeah, so they, they, they did not turn down this type of deal. Um, George would have been eligible, um, because he, uh, because he had a year left on his deal. And I think, I believe Hayward would have had to opt in to the last year of his contract because he technically opted out. Um, so, so that's, I think, I believe that's correct. Um, but John Wall, uh, just re-upped based on, um, based on this. So that's how he was able to get, I think what his deal is like 40 some million dollars a year on average, something like that. So, um, so yeah, we, let, let's just say this, we, we have not seen players turn down this contract yet. Um, limited data set, but, uh, it's a lot of money to turn down. And I was going to say, to me, that was one thing this summer that, again, obviously it's it's a lot of hoopla with a bunch of people changing teams and stuff like that, but uh, that was the big thing. And, and I know it's been talked about, like, should journalists have the right to vote for this to figure out if this guy is second or third team or whatever? And, I, okay, I, I get all of those arguments, but they didn't earn those like, like they didn't earn those spots whether or not you think they did they didn't earn those and thus <laughs> the the contract was not they weren't able to sign that huge contract with that thing that would like you said where we haven't seen someone turn down that money yet and i, I mean Giannis already makes an all nba team and again you never know what can happen um but it does appear to be trending that way that he can get that deal and get that huge extension. So uh, obviously if you're a Bucks fan, you're hoping for Giannis's success anyways. <laughs> you're hoping that he he's one of the five best players in the league and maybe in talks for an MVP and obviously all NBA. So you're already hoping that, but underlying all that, there's, there's another reason to really be hopeful that that happens because that just, to me, further increases the chances that he's staying in Milwaukee because they can offer him so much more money than anyone else really could uh let's move to the next question tim asks should we expect an amnesty provision in the next cba or was that a one-time deal in the last agreement i I wouldn't expect i mean it it wasn't in this most recent one um i think it's been included in two different cbas uh and i i don't think you would necessarily see it i think in part because Teams are now teams can't sign players to as long a deals. Contract lengths are shorter, um, so I, I don't think really. And again, for for people not aware of it, basically this was a, a, a rule that allowed teams to 
um, wipe guys off their cap by basically waving them. They still had to pay those guys, um, but it allowed them to basically sort of take one mulligan uh, as far as having a guy not count against their cap or, or luxury tax. Um, and I think it was originally called the, the Allen Houston rule, although I don't think it was actually applied to, <laughs> to Allen Houston <laughs> the first time around with the Knicks. I, I'd have to double check that. But there's actually it's actually kind of a funny, funny thing about NBA thing, NBA exceptions named after players. Um, like, I don't think that I want to say, I don't know if the Allen Houston rule was actually used on Allen Houston. Um, I don't believe Larry Bird was, was actually, I don't think bird rights were actually used on Larry Bird initially. Um, I think there was some strange quirk where they actually didn't use them on Larry Bird, even though it was named after him. Uh, the Rose rule, which was the rule, uh, that allowed, um, rookie extensions to basically bump up uh, a bracket from 25% to 30% if you are named MVP. I believe Kevin Durant technically got the first Rose Rule, even though they were thought thinking about it that it'd be, be Derrick Rose. So I think he got the Rose Rule extension, but it was actually Durant who got the first one retroactively. Um, so there's this long history of, of weird uh, things where they name something after somebody and then it doesn't actually necessarily um, apply. But yeah, the amnesty, I don't think you're going to see it. And honestly, <laughs> only, the- only Frank could make a nerdy discussion even nerdier you well you've outdone yourself sir. yeah and i think the um the only other thing was um only i want to mention here is we now have this the stretch rule and i people have probably heard me mention this around spencer hawes a bunch um this is basically sort of a weakened version of this because uh essentially allows a team to spread out the the cap hit and and, and tax hit if they want um, of a player that they waive. So, I mean, they don't have to do this, but usually when uh, when teams waive players, usually to try to reduce their immediate um, salary obligations. So, um, so again, w- what this does is if, if a player has two years left on his contract, um, you multiply it by two and add one to get five, and then you divide their salary, the remaining salary they're owed over that period. And that's how, um, again, if a team wants to do it that way, they can spread out the, the player's cap hit over five years rather than one. So when we talk about Haas, that's why you'll pr- frequently hear us say, well, we could, they could reduce their cap hit by four million. And the math we're doing is he's owed $6 million. He has one year left on his deal. One times two plus one is three. Take six million, divide by three. Basically, they could take a two million dollar hit each of the next three years, um, gain four million dollars in flexibility this year. So it's sort of that like you know pay me now or pay me later type thing. But that that does provide a fair bit of flexibility because it does allow teams to kind of spread out their hit. Um, and Larry Sanders maybe the best example for the Bucks because the Bucks are going to owe him um, one point nine million dollars uh, through the twenty one twenty two season. So they owe they they Larry Sanders is is right now on the books for a longer period than any other player actually on the active roster which isn't great but you know sometimes life doesn't go your way yeah i don't i don't think you really saw that one coming so uh, a couple more questions here i think these all should be pretty simple um i guess one from mason contrast small market versus large market teams and how they approach cap situations i think we've kind of talked about that throughout is there anything else you'd want to add to that i know we've talked about luxury tax and how that kind of works and ultimately i was going to say one big thing i think a lot of people think i think a lot of people think that okay large market teams totally fine going to the luxury tax they'll pay it they'll do whatever they need to do and that's that's not the case um again as we've talked about throughout and we've talked about the reasons why the luxury tax is something you avoid pretty much 
no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what size market you have, like that is just something you avoid. So, so largely, I don't think there are uh, really drastic differences in the way that small market teams versus large market teams approach the cap and different cap situations. But uh, anything you'd want to add there? Yeah, I mean, look, here, here's the list of of highest payrolls in the league this year. Um, and this may move around a little bit because, again, some deals haven't been officially signed. But, you know, Cleveland, Miami, Portland, Golden State, Oklahoma City, Washington, New Orleans, Milwaukee. I think the Bucks, if you include Tony Snell, are actually sixth. Um, Charlotte, Utah, right? I mean, that's the top ten. Um, is there an obvious trend there of only big market teams paying, you know, the luxury tax, paying these, those, those top dollar values? No. Um, you know, Portland isn't even that good uh you know bucks are certainly not knocking down the door of contention or in a large market oklahoma city um has a high payroll and actually you know they now have some some stars that at least make that make you feel a little bit better about that miami has no stars and they're at 128 million right now so um so yeah i mean the teams that spend money tend to be good teams and teams that don't manage their cap particularly well. Um, and sometimes that overlaps with with big markets and sometimes it doesn't. But um, but yeah, I don't think it necessarily matters that much. I think on the margins, certainly, um, a team like the Knicks, sure, they, they would happily go into the tax um, you know, if they had players to spend it on. But part of the problem is like it's hard to really go over the tax if you don't actually develop good players internally. Because think yep. <laughs> you know, think about the exceptions, right? Like the, the fastest way to add money to a payroll is by signing your rookies to massive contract extensions. What is, what is the story? I'm trying to think how many how many guys have the Knicks signed to second contracts? How many of their rookies? It's like none in the last decade or something like yeah, that. It's like, been a while. I mean, Tim Hardaway gets an asterisk because they drafted him and then they traded him before they re-signed him. Um, but you know, again, if you don't basically re-sign your own players and use those bird exceptions, basically. You know, using cap space isn't going to take you over the luxury tax, right? Because you're just going to have spent up to the cap. Um, you're going to have to go over the cap with your own players. So you need to have actually good players to resign. And then, you know, again, you can only kind of nickel and dime your way with the mid-level, you know, kind of once once a year sort of. So um, so they're, they're kind of natural limits on spending if you're really bad at developing talent. Um, so in a way, again, the fact that a lot of these teams um, are over the cap also speaks to the fact that they found guys or drafted guys that that ended up being really good so um, so it's kind of the double-edged sword of of, uh, of having a good roster uh, CJ asks when do teams trim the roster to 15 plus 2 I assume that 2 refers to 2 way players are vets and non-guaranteed players often cut then is there any hope for the Bucks to find value? Yeah, I mean, during the summer, teams can have up to twenty guys, and then the cut happens basically at the right at the right when the regular season starts. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you do see guys get get waived. I mean, typically the camp body type guys get waived sort of throughout camp, so you know teams don't carry you know twenty guys right until the last day. Typically, um, a lot of those camp body type guys they they got to go find jobs anyway. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you'll see some guys get cut, but again, with the Bucks, with where they are, um, I, I'm trying to think. I'm I, I don't I can't remember any examples where the Bucks. I'm trying to think of a, an example where the guys, the Bucks, like snapped up a guy who got waived at the end of camp. I'm I'm not sure if I can think of an example off the top of my head. Um, I mean, you do see guys like interesting players get waived. I mean, like R.J. Hunter. Not really that interesting of a player anymore, but only a couple years removed from being a he late first-round pick. He was at some point. 
Yeah, I mean, I liked him. I liked him more than Rashad Vaughn, to be honest. No, he was a. I think he was a guy that in our. Did we do a brew hop, brew hoop mock draft that year? I think that was someone that we all got together and talked about. Like, oh, RJ Hunter might be kind of interesting. Yeah. So I mean, you definitely see some guys come available, but um, but again, I I would be. I'd be somewhat surprised if uh, if the Bucks waited until until that point to make a move. And again, the Bucks have 15 roster spots. Um, I think if they make a move again, it would probably be stretching Hawes and then maybe resigning, you know, like a Jason Terry or something like that. Um, but you know, again, we also like Ian Clark just signed for next to nothing in New Orleans. Um, didn't really hear anything about the Bucks being interested in him. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have any insight into whether the Bucks have their eyes on anybody else. But obviously, um, they have limited flexibility at this point. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Hawes. Obviously, they could cut GP two as well. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a lot of spots there uh, for the Bucks really to make a ton of moves. And like you said, there's not maybe all that much value to find either. Uh, Frank, we'll end with the most important question comes from dg why can't the bucks sign lebron and westbrook next year because they have no cap space (laughs) well if i shouldn't say that if if uh if russell westbrook and uh, lebron james are willing to split 12 million dollars um then uh then then yeah they could just renounce jabari parker's cap hole saying there's a (laughs) chance but yeah, no, when you don't have cap space, uh, you, you can't go sign superstars. But I mean, yeah, yeah, it's tough. We'll we'll see what those guys do. But uh, I I will happen. I will say with confidence that they will not be signing max deals in Milwaukee. And uh, I don't think anybody uh, on the Bucks the Bucks will not be signing any free agent who is not on the roster at the end of the year um, to uh, to a very big contract next summer. Unfortunately, unless we find a suddenly a massively blooming market for the likes of John Henson and, and Mirza Toledovic, but I, uh, I do not foresee that. All right, Frank, that was our first run through on salary cap stuff. Obviously, uh, this is something Frank is very well versed in and something that it sounded like people actually wanted us to do. So uh, it, <laughs> if you just listen to, I don't even know what this is going to be, in an hour plus of capology and breaking down all the nuances of the cap i i hope you enjoyed it and also i hope you ask other questions if you do um i I think we could easily could just kind of bookmark these these cap breakdowns and then have them as a reference um i know listening to frank there um i Frank had written down some very rudimentary notes uh, with these questions, so I knew where he was going, and and I got lost at times because uh, Frank knows this stuff so so well. So hopefully, um, just kind of having the audio version, uh, you can listen to it a couple times, or uh, you can slow it down and break it down as you're going along. Maybe you sit, maybe you take some notes. I don't know, um, but hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, and like I said, we can we can do some more if there's more questions out there. Um, we we would love to kind of help answer some of those questions. But uh, that's gonna be it for us for today. This episode was brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has to be thrilled uh, that they were put on the, the Capology episode <laughs> of Lockdown Bucks this week. Sorry, SeatGeek. Uh, but if you want to use our promo code, it's L-O-N-B-A again, L-O-N-B-A for Lockdown NBA. That's our new SeatGeek promo code. That gets you a $20 rebate on your very first SeatGeek purchase. So thank you for listening. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you later. 
you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.